If you have your Bibles, turn with me once again this morning to the book of 1 Peter. We're resuming our study of this first century letter. There, is, uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you need them, inserts in your bulletin that contain the passage for this morning. We've been camping out for the last several weeks, uh, maybe more than that, for the last several months on this idea, this theme of exile. Uh, we've been camping out on uh, being exiles because it's not only been the theme of First Peter, but it's been the theme of our discipleship hour, at least the adult class at 9 a.m. Being an exile is living in a place but longing for and looking to another. And as we were reminded last week, all the while waging war against our souls, realizing that the context and the climate of our environment is, is against us. I was reading uh, something by Paul Tripp, a name that we know well, pastor, author in our denomination. He put it very succinctly. Uh, Live like an alien, fight like a soldier, and behave like a representative. And that's what we've been seeking to learn how to do, and it's that last part in particular that we're interested in honing on, honing in on this morning, because Peter has firmly established in this letter our gospel identity, and he's grounded us in that identity, and he's begun to lay out a framework for us of what life is going to look like as exiles. Remember last week, a life of, of arming ourselves and of abstaining from things. Today he begins to put a real fine point on things. Before I read this, I want to simply remind you of the historical context. And, and one fact about the historical context, Peter is writing this to a first century church in the Roman Empire with one of the most brutal emperors of Roman history at the helm, Nero. So those, that, that's the context of, of Peter's words here to the church this morning. If you're able, I invite you to stand for the reading of God's word. First Peter chapter two, verses 13 through 17. First Peter chapter two, verses 13 through 17. This is God's word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. In 1966, just a bit before my time, the Bobby Fuller Four, we got any Bobby Fuller Four fans in here? The Bobby Fuller Four recorded a song 
made popular by them called I Fought the Law and the Law Won. Now many of us in the, in the younger generation, we, we know that song, we remember that song. It's a song about a, a guy who goes to jail after this robbery spree. Interestingly enough, if you dig a little deeper into the who wrote that song, it wasn't Bobby Fuller or any of the four. It was another guy who probably didn't have a rebellious bone in his body, but simply wanted to write a song that had a catchy tune and a catchy lyric. But it's a song that's been covered by dozens of rebellious rock bands as this defiant statement, this defiant declaration of autonomy in the midst of authority. I fought the law. The law won, but I fought the law. We all know this morning that the human heart from the very beginning of our creation has struggled with authority. As we were talking about earlier in our discipleship hour, our present context, our present culture is one where personal autonomy is is king. What right do you have to tell me anything? Mind your own business, right? It's my body, it's my money, It's my life. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, leave me alone. It's precisely because our hearts are bent in such a way that we need authority in our lives. So as Peter writes to this young church in the first century, And as the Holy Spirit speaks to us this morning through his word today, I want to focus our thoughts as we work through this passage and seek to understand what God is saying. I want to focus our hearts on on three things this morning. And the first one is this. Government is a gift from God. Government is a gift from God. We sit here as proud Americans and we say, of course it is a gift from God. Look at this nation we live in. But Peter's not writing to Americans. He's not talking simply about democracy. All government is a gift from God. And we need to hear that this morning, whether we are a proud American or whether we are a citizen of another planet, excuse me, of another nation on this planet. You need to hear it if you're another citizen of another planet too. Whether you're here this morning and you support the Trump administration or whether you wish Hillary was your president, it doesn't matter whether you're a Republican or a Democrat, or whether the Republicans or Democrats are in power. Government is a gift from God. This is the teaching of Peter, and this is the teaching of the scripture as a whole. We recognize that God is sovereign over all, that Jesus Christ rules, that he holds kingdom in his, kingdoms in his hands, that he sets rulers in place, he takes them down, the good ones and the bad ones. I read this week, even tyranny is better than anarchy. 
And so Peter writes, be subject to every human institution. Now our English translations obscure this just a a little bit. Literally the Greek says, every human creature. Now the implication of course, by way of context, is creatures that are in authority, creatures that are in government, right? Because he goes on to talk about emperors and, and governments, but he says every human creature. There's an emphasis of creatureliness here. That's all they are. They're men and women, weak creatures. There's a flip side of that. There are also men and women creatures who are made in God's image and therefore worthy of respect and honor. And we'll get to that in a moment. My point is that Peter is talking here about being subject to people to people. You know, in Peter's day in the first century, in this context that he's writing, the emperor cult was was a thing. It was expected, it was popular of citizens in the Roman Empire, this notion that the emperor himself was a divine being and was therefore to be worshiped. And Peter reminds his first century hearers that he's just a creature. He's put there by his creator, whether it be governors, governors that we're familiar with from the biblical record like Pilate and Felix and Festus, those are all powerful men that we know of. Or whether it be the neurotic emperor Nero, whether it be Jay Inslee, whether it be Donald Trump, from the highest place to the lowest post and everything in between, they were put there by divine appointment. Let me read some scriptures to you. Proverbs 8.15, by me, the Lord says, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. Daniel 2, verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. And then the most powerful scripture on this subject, Romans chapter 13, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. He is God's servant for your good. And Peter here in 1 Peter 2 fleshes out some of of what that goodness looks like, positively and negatively, right? So, So, positively or negatively, however you want to look at it, government is there to punish evil, Peter says, right? That's why we have police forces. It's why we have jails. But the government is also there to praise the good, to give away keys to the city, to give tax breaks to nonprofits who are doing good work in our communities. This is common grace that ought to be participated in and that ought to be celebrated. I was reminded as I was studying this that our confession addresses this. 
Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 23, paragraph one says this, God, the supreme Lord and King of all the earth, hath ordained civil magistrates to be under him, over the people, for his own glory and the public good, and to this end hath armed them with the power of the sword for the defense and encouragement of them that are good and for the punishment of evildoers. Government is a gift from God. Peter wants his first century hearers to hear that, and we need to hear it again this morning. Doesn't that free, free you in an election year? Doesn't mean you ought not try to change things that are broken. It doesn't mean that you ought not vote. You should vote doesn't mean you ought not even run yourself and try to get a position in government, but it does mean that as exiles, we aren't anarchists, and we don't need to push the panic button if our candidate doesn't get elected, because we're dual citizens, and we're proud to be. Government is a gift from God. That's the first truth this morning. The second one is this, submission to authority, in this context we could say government, submission to authority is an act of worship and mission. Submission to authority is an act of worship and mission. Shortly after our president Donald Trump was elected in 2016, there began a a social media movement. It was hashtag not my president, and what turned well, what started as a hashtag, hashtag not my president, turned into rallies and protests across our nation. Maybe some of you felt that way. Maybe some of you would have felt that way had Mrs. Clinton been elected back then. I wonder what the attitude of the first century church was. These are men and women zealous about their newfound faith in in Jesus and what he calls them to. They're they're trying to figure out what this life is going to look like. Peter is helping them figure that out. After all, maybe Old Testament Israel, they were called to conquer in order to claim their land. They were called to conquest with the sword. Maybe, Maybe the new Israel is called to do the same Hashtag not my emperor. Hashtag no to Nero. And yet here in 1 Peter 2, Peter calls them to something greater, something transcendent. If Yahweh appoints, if government is a gift from God, then being subject to whomever is an act of worship. Be subject, it's it's not a soft admonition that Peter gives here. It means submit, obey, respect. Not if you voted for them, not if you deem their decisions in your best interest, but because they are God's man or woman. 
Now, of course, this does not negate, and hear this clearly, this does not negate the teaching of Acts 5.29, where Peter himself and the other apostles, as they were preaching the gospel and they were told to stop, they said, we must obey God rather than men. Right? Be subject to the authorities does not negate Acts chapter 5. So the midwives in Egypt who disobeyed Pharaoh when he said, destroy those babies when they're born, they were right in disobeying that order. Daniel and his friends were right to disobey the demand to worship the golden image. But refusing to pay your taxes because you're laying up treasures in heaven is not okay. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, Jesus says. Be subject to the governing authorities. And as you do that, Peter says, do it for the Lord's sake. In other words, look past them. You don't care what they think of you. You care only about the one who put them into that position. And so reverence for Jesus becomes the ground of your submission. In fact, Jesus himself, his life is, is the model, right? This is, this is the way of the cross. It's the way of the gospel. We can suffer injustice at the hands of authorities without demanding our rights because that's what Jesus did. That's what his entire life and ministry was about. So submit to authority as an act of worship. But there's also an aspect of mission here, verse 15, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Brothers and sisters, Christians in the first century were accused of far, far worse than we are ever accused of. We may be called bigots in our day and age, but they were accused of being cannibals because of their feasts of body and blood. They were accused of incest because of their familial language and their greetings with hugs and kisses. They were accused of spreading disloyalty across the empire because they said that they had a king already, King Jesus. Now, all those accusations were, they were from ignorance, right? Christians aren't cannibals. Sounds like we are to an ignorant ear. But Peter says all that ignorance can be silenced if we're just in our communities doing good. Just like verse 12 stated, we looked at it last week, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. So when Peter says, for the Lord's sake, he's not simply talking about an act of worship, but as a strategy for mission. Christians ought to be in the news for more than just frustration with government. We ought to be in the news way more than simply griping about how we don't like things. 
but we ought to be in the news for our care for others. That we might be salt and light, preserving and pointing to the king, the king of kings. And so Peter says, exiles submit to authority as an act of worship and mission. And then finally, one last truth for us this morning. Live free and fearful. I try to make that as pithy as Peter makes his closing exhortation. Live free and fearful. It's a command, it's, it's an invitation, it's a privilege. Live free, Christian, live fearful. Martin Luther said this, the original Martin Luther, not the Martin Luther you're gonna celebrate tomorrow or be off work for tomorrow, whatever. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Let me read that one more time. A Christian is a perfectly free Lord of all, subject to none. A Christian is a perfectly dutiful servant of all, subject to all. Peter ends this section that we read this morning with four pithy exhortations to the church, right? Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the emperor. Let's start at the very heart of those four pithy statements, the one that governs them all. Fear God. We live in a world of fear. We are a people who fear. (laughs) The problem is we so easily fear the wrong thing. We don't fear the right thing, or rather, more specifically, the right person. Right, we've talked about fear. Proverbs 1, verse 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. This is the highest obligation that we have as believers that colors everything else. To fear God is to be captured by who he is and controlled by what he has done. To be captured by who he is and to be controlled by, who, by what he has done. In other words, we need to make a practice of thinking great thoughts about God. Why would we need to fear what man, what government can do to me? Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And and as we think about these commands, sure, we don't like to submit We don't like to submit, especially to those who we don't like. Submission is a relinquishing of power. It's a relinquishing of control. It's hard to do. But when the Lord is above all acknowledged and feared, it frees us. And Peter says, live as people who are free. Because this is the work of the gospel. Now Peter doesn't say specifically in this text, he doesn't say what we are specifically freed from, but the Bible talks about what we're freed from. We're 
free from the law. We're free from condemnation. We're free from slavery to sin. We're free from the ways of the world. 2 Corinthians 3.17, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And so now, if we fear the Lord, if we're right with God, if the gospel has transformed us, then we can love. Isn't it interesting that Peter talks about loving the brotherhood in this? Why, Why does he do that? Love the brotherhood. Peter is the only guy who uses this word brotherhood in the New Testament. He uses it one more time in chapter five. He's the only guy who uses it. He's talking about the church. It's a wonderful reminder for us because it's a reminder for us to think covenantally. And you know I love that word. To think and live and love like a family. And you know as well as I do that we, we struggle in our day and age to live like this. The first century church was way better at this than we are. Between work, between our biological families, important, both of those things. We, we leave little time sometimes, for us. But we need us. Part part of our witness to the world is us. This crazy hodgepodge of people, diverse as can be, personality-wise, socioeconomic, ethnically, And yet here we are, loving and serving because of the gospel. Love the brotherhood. And then finally, the last exhortation he gives, which is actually the first one he gives, is honor. He bookends the whole thing with this notion of honor. As you subject yourselves to the governing authorities, as you submit, to those authorities that God has put over you, there is no need to belittle them. There's no need to demonize them. There's no need to fuel an us versus them mentality. They're image bearers, their authority is from God. We've got to honor them. But what does this look like? Well, that's the $64,000 question. Maybe that's another sermon. But the documents of our heritage help. Again, the Westminster Larger Catechism. Because the Westminster Larger Catechism puts this under the scope of the fifth commandment. Listen to question and answer 127. This is is rich, I'm gonna read it slow. The question is, what is the honor that inferiors Oh, they're superiors. And the answer is this. The honor which inferiors owe to their superiors is all reverence in heart, word, and behavior, prayer, and thanksgiving for them, 
imitation of their virtues and graces, willing obedience to their lawful commands and counsels, due submission to their corrections, fidelity to defense and maintenance of their persons and their authority according to their several ranks and the nature of their places, bearing with their infirmities and covering them in love so that they may be an honor to them and to their government. Whoa. (laughs) There's no doubt that is hard to do. Humility, gentleness, honor, that is hard when we are backed into a culture. Excuse me, when we're backed by a culture into a corner. But through the gospel, it's not only possible, but it's necessary. It's necessary as we remember these things. The government is a gift from God. They're just creatures. Living in darkness, some of them, confused, broken. You know as well as I do that we're in a season in our day and age that is struggling with honor. With our memes, with our social media slams and sarcasm, we're struggling with honor. But Peter invites us, he reminds us to lead the way, church. Fearing God, living free, honoring, loving, and submitting, they'll see. The world will see. They'll want to know why. And that's when you tell them who. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word once again. And we confess our struggle um, to walk according to it. And yet as your people, we want to be that salt that preserves a dying culture. We want to be that light that speaks life into aimlessness and meaninglessness and a trajectory and a path of darkness. And so I ask that you would plant these truths deep in our hearts and show us the way forward as your church that we would bring you the honor and the glory that is due your name, our great sovereign Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.